0: Hey everybody, this is Lisa Galondi-Lay, the host of Spark My Muse, and this is Soul School Lesson 272, Thresholds at Wild House. Today, I'm going to be reading some poems from Wild House Poetry. A friend of mine, Mark S. Burroughs, sent me some poems by Jerome Gannon. These are not out yet, but I got an advanced reader copy. I'm going to read some poems from this wonderful poetry book called Refuge for Cranes. Praise poems from the Anthropocene. Before I do that, I wanted to just share a few thoughts that have been rolling around in my mind and have been pushing up against me in interesting ways. Right now it's July, 2023, and I came across a few things and an amalgamation of them sort of formed a a thought in my mind, not really a new thought. the way wisdom sometimes comes to us is through many voices that sort of congeal into something that you don't so much invent, you sort of discover or awaken to. And this time that's the idea that we have our points of growth at thresholds. That are usually our points of greatest resistance. And I was thinking of this in terms of what are some of my own greatest points of resistance right now, whether that's perhaps memories, experiences, relationships, ambitions, or purposes I hope to have in my life, and perhaps personal goals for growth and transformation. Whatever I might find that are these greatest points of resistance, the things I perhaps fear or feel threatened by, those are the thresholds and doorways to the points of greatest growth. So oftentimes we just, we stop at these thresholds and we don't go to the other side and we keep bumping up against them perhaps and feeling stuck, not knowing how to move forward through the threshold. Into really, what is a kind of new world and a new way of seeing, and so if you find yourself stuck, this is how growth works. We feel stuck for a while till we move through that resistance, that point of threshold that is a doorway into a new room in yourself or a new world of yourself that 's just a normal part of being human, and I think a lot of us when we run into these Ordinary troubles, or sometimes extraordinary troubles, we feel that things have gone wrong and we fail to realize that this is the path of life. This is how the journey goes. So, that's my way of encouraging myself and also encouraging anyone who's hearing this. However, you encounter your resistance, realize that that's normal to encounter it. Realize that pushing up against it will feel hard and bad. And moving through it can be a slow process. And then finally, a breakthrough will happen and we'll cross the threshold and we'll enter into new ways of being, perhaps ways of seeing or perceiving and interrelating. And that's when a burst of growth might happen for us. Jerome Gannon is the author of the full-length collection, Rumors of Wisdom, the winner of the Lewis Award, as well as the chapbook, Spell of the Ordinary. A writing teacher, tutor, and freelance journalist, he currently lives not far from a 15,000-acre park, home to deer, bobcats, foxes, wild turkeys, owls, and other wildlife. He is passionate about the preservation and protection of the sandhill cranes and other species of birds. One of the things that strikes me about Jerome Gannon's poems is how they are very reflective, meditative. There's aspects of a mystical touch to them, if you will, where there's something sacred about his reflections and his noticings. I really enjoy how he discovers nature and things about himself and how those things intertwine. On the back matter of the book, it reads, In Refuge for Cranes, Jerome Gannon writes, At the intersection of inner inner, and outer landscapes, finding refuge in nature, art, and awareness itself. These are poems of wonder and alarm, in awe of the natural world yet full of concern about the harm we do to it and to ourselves. They range in topic from climate fires and the demise of bees to the transparency of grace, the soul's deep down unfathoming and the profound elegance of cranes likened to saplings with wings. There is praise here for beauty, glinting among detristus, but there's also a call to action, a plea to restore a damaged world. Some of those things that were quoted there, the souls deep down unfathoming, saplings with wings and so forth, are pulled directly from the book itself. This is a thin collection of poems. Most poems don't exceed a Page or a half a page. I'm just going to pick out a few to read, and again, this book is not out quite yet. This is an advanced copy, but it should be out in a month or two with Wild House Poetry. You can go to wildhousepublishing.com for more information about this book, and I thank you, Mark S. Burroughs, for giving me a chance to read this ahead of time. It really was a great pleasure to do that. Thank you also to Jerome for birthing these. Beautiful poems. If you hear some crackling in this broadcast today, I'm sitting on a little bit of a creaky chair, so please forgive those intrusions. The first one is called Meeting in the Field, and I'm sure that this must be also a reference to to Rumi's poem. Meeting in the Field. If sorrow is the salt of life, as my grocer says, his smile brought enough to light the world. Then what is our joy? Something like kindness, I think. The best we give of ourselves when we enter the green field of the other. Knowing the likenesses of these, the salty and sweet, the one in the other, may be the closest I can come to wisdom. And maybe that's what the golden-breasted one has been getting at after all perched on the telephone wire this evening, singing a sweet song shot through with pain, singing a wise song for all who'll listen, for everything, really, that lives under the sun. I'll read it one more time and then just offer a few words of reflection. Meeting in the Field If sorrow is the salt of life, as my grocer says, his smile bright enough to light the world, then what is our joy? Something like kindness, I think, the best we can give of ourselves when we enter the green field of the other. Knowing the likenesses of these, the salty and sweet, the one in the other, may be the closest I can come to wisdom. And maybe that's what the golden-breasted one has been getting at, after all. Perched on the telephone wire this evening, singing a sweet song shot through with pain. Singing a wise song for all who'll listen. For everything, really, that lives under the sun. So here, for me, Jerome speaks about a bird he's encountered. Singing a sweet song but it is shot through with pain. And I love that, the sweet and the salty of life, the joy and the sorrow that come together as one. And this is kind of the wisdom that we gather as we live our lives. We know that sorrow and sweetness are shot through together with each other. We can see that sweetness and that sorrow in each other as we meet in this field together. The next one I'll read is from page 40. I'm sort of working backwards in this volume today. And this one is called To the Keeper of Names. Notice the leaning creatures and things animated by wind, every flower and person, butterfly and stick, tells about itself incessantly. Be still, like the larger animals listening with ears big as the elephants collect the delicate pulse of friend's touch more valuable than ivory kept in a transparent box follow the alleys of any city you're in to find the marvelous stairway knock at the door that resembles yours of a past hell who lives there now Celebrate, dance, and indulge the spirit in a frenzy of prayer. When you speak of loss, leave off the lessons, be the monarch, and the frost on the wings of the monarch. Spell out things that have no name, if you are the keeper of names. If you're as a sieve, air of words breathe in and out of you into the mouths of others. There's some really interesting wordplay here and I appreciate the juxtaposition of opposites. I'll read it again so you can absorb it. Just say a few words after that. To the keeper of names, notice the leaning creatures and things Animated by wind, every flower and person, butterfly and stick, tells about itself incessantly. Be still, like the larger animals, listening with big ears as the elephants. Collect the delicate pulse of friend's touch, more valuable than ivory, kept in a transparent box. Follow the alleys of any city you're in to find the marvelous stairway. Knock at the door that resembles yours of a past hell. Who lives there now? Celebrate, dance, and indulge the spirit in a frenzy of prayer. When you speak of loss, leave off the lessons. Be the monarch and the frost on the wings of the monarch. Spell out things that have no name. If you're the keeper of names, if you're as a sieve, air of words breathe in and out of you into the mouths of others. To me, this is really an interesting way of how we might transfer wisdom, perhaps, how we might share ourselves and our experiences with others, but not in ways that are preachy to them, in ways that... We come alongside people, help them know that they belong to themselves and to the human experience. I like knock at the door that resembles yours of a past hell, who lives there now. And the idea of celebrating uh, and then the juxtaposition of prayer, which we often think of as something quiet, but it's the spirit in a frenzy of prayer. Some really interesting images there that roll over in my mind um, and, and open new doors for me. The part I first highlighted, if you're as a sieve, air of words, breathe in and out of you. And uh, the other part, of course, that relates to names. The title is To the Keeper of Names, and then spell out things that have no name, if you're the keeper of names. This idea of not labeling and instructing others, perhaps. I don't know if the author was thinking this, but this is what came to my mind. Sometimes we might try to instruct other people in the lessons we've learned, but those lessons are probably mainly for us and people have to learn their own lessons in their own times with their own experiences in a particular way for themselves, but we can sort of spell them out. We can sort of draw them in contour without filling in the details so they can find out the details for themselves and learn it deeply instead of it going in one ear and out the other ear. Here's one on page 38 called Morning Song. Forget for a moment the idea of an ending, which isn't an ending. How could it be when nothing ever ceases to merge with the cosmic traffic? You know, that crazy thing that stars do, are forever doing, raining down, their fiery decrescendos, white ink on black. Did someone say the camel has another camel inside of it? Well, the blazing maple has another maple inside of it, too, and another, and each note of the yellow gossbeak's song is a heralding of the infinite, as if lithe fingers were trilling the utmost keys. What's the wide-open secret inside you? The one word that echoes down through your days and nights and years? Let it ring out like a drunken bell across a valley, holding in the trees so that it delights the small moths there, freckled salmon in the streams, and loving and unloving equally. Morning song is delightful. What's the wide-open secret inside of you? The one word that echoes down through your days and nights and years. That really... Got me, that's powerful. It's this open-ended question, I think, for us. It can change, perhaps, but perhaps there is this one wide-open secret for us. The one thing that maybe we're afraid of or that we're longing for. Let me read Morning Song one more time. Morning Song. Forget for a moment the idea of an ending, which isn't an ending. How could it be when nothing... Ever ceases to merge with the cosmic traffic. You know that crazy thing that stars do, are forever doing, raining down their fiery decrescendos, white ink on black. Did someone say the camel has another camel inside of it? Well, the blazing maple has another maple inside of it, too, and another. And each note of the yellow gossipy song is a heralding of the infinite, as if the lithe fingers were trilling on the utmost keys. What's the wide open secret inside you, the one word that echoes down through your days and nights and years? Let it ring out like a drunken bell across a valley, holding in the trees, so that it delights the small moths there, freckled salmon in the streams, the loving and unloving equally so delights the loving and unloving equally. That's an interesting image. It's a really interesting image to play with. What could that mean? Thank you again, Jerome. Wonderful poems to mull over and to calm us down into some different sort of level of being, some different level of knowing and consciousness. Again, people, this is Refuge for Cranes, praise poems from the Anthropocene. Jerome Gannon from Wild House Poetry. Wild House Publishing is a small publishing company, and you should look them up. They have really wonderful things. The last one I'm going to read is called Ordinary Transformations, and it's from page 14. Ordinary Transformations. This has three parts labeled one, two, and three. 1. Without warning, stones and petals, lips and eyes release their grip. Boredom, too, dissipates, like the mist on a lake. One by one, my loves reappear, those who lifted me and those who broke me, each of them entering the longed-for realm, shining, gone. 2. Do you suppose fire is only fire, cause and effect, that it has a source or end in time, or that it burns within us the dry tinder of need waiting to erupt into undreamed conflagrations, white smoke rising in a white sky, becoming dust on mustard leaves, sweat on a mule's back, warmth of bread. Three. Long smoldering, this grief gives off no light and little heat, Lean into it, though, and it flares up as happiness does, etching its dazzling trail in the night sky, or else it wiles its way to vacancy, like the skeleton of some once-quick rodent found under a pile of leaves last fall. It collapses in on itself, shrouded now in morning glories. I'm struck by how many times the poet speaks of morning glories in this volume. It comes up quite a bit. And it seems as though ordinary transformations is about grief, perhaps losing loved ones and death and dying, and how we go back to the earth. I like this set of four lines. One by one, my loves reappear. Those who lifted me and those who broke me, each of them entering the longed-for realm, shining, gone. There's something so bittersweet, terrible, and lovely about that. I was struck recently by news that one of the classmates of my son passed away at 24 years old. He was a very disabled child in body and mind, And almost every year since probably third or fourth grade, shared a classroom with my son who has special needs as well. And thinking of his 24-year-old life, how quickly it was gone, how much this child and young man suffered physically, emotionally, mentally in his life, and then it came to an end. I'm not sure about the details of his death, whether... It was an accident because sometimes he could be out of control perhaps and maybe there was an accident that caused it or if it was just a health problem because he had many and perhaps his death was anticipated because of a congenital issue or perhaps it came on suddenly. I don't know the details, but I know that he isn't here any longer in body. And I think about all the people, his parents, his family, he came from a large family And the many teachers and aides and helpers and TSS workers, nurses and friends and all these people who poured love and help into his life, many hours, many, many, many hours into his little short-lived life. And on the one hand, it feels wasted because he's gone. And on the other hand, it feels precious because it was such a short life. I've just been kind of holding those weird tensions, the brevity of life and the preciousness of life, and some of the futility of our efforts too. Wanting to understand that better and knowing that it's beyond me, it's a mystery. I cannot reconcile all those contradictions in my mind. And this is, I think, part of grief. Encountering... Grief when someone you know passes away, it brings up other griefs. It certainly does for me, it brings up past griefs and the incomprehensibility of human experience and human life that it appears in this form and then is gone from this form. It has seemingly a lot of meaning through the connections and bonds and legacy it leaves behind. But is also so ephemeral, so fragile, and strangely strong as well. And perhaps the threshold that I'm pushing against now is fear. Um, fear of being exposed in my work to myself. And I wonder what is the threshold that you're experiencing resistance about? Is it fear? Is it vulnerability? Is it anger? Is it being uncomfortable with joy? What could it be for you? And perhaps it's more than one thing. So if you'd like to reach out, you can always go to sparkmymuse.com and contact me through there, or go to the Substack page I have. You can get there through sparkmymuse.com. Related to this episode, you can comment, and I enjoy reading what people have to say about each episode, or what's going on in their minds as they encounter the episode. It's always interesting to me how people connect with each other, sometimes in the most unexpected or sometimes the most ordinary ways. People pop into my world, into my life, and are such sweet surprises, such unexpected gifts. If you're listening to this now for the first time or once again as a regular, I thank you so much for the privilege of that for sharing some of your precious life with me here. And I hope that it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to come on as a partner or support what I'm doing, that really helps and you can do that through the website. There's places there, there's There's ways to do that through PayPal or Patreon and ways that you might see fit. Thank you for that. And blessings until we meet again.